Welcome to the Hayes Worldwide Leadership Insights Podcast. In this series, I'll be talking to business leaders from across the world of work who will be sharing their expertise to help you effectively lead your business, both now and in the future. Most leaders will be familiar with giving presentations to their peers, team members, customers, and clients. However, presenting to the C-suite presents its own unique challenges and can be a daunting prospect. Today, I'll be chatting with keynote speaker and presentation skills coach, Jay Serti, author of the presentation book for senior managers, an essential step-by-step guide to structuring and delivering effective speeches. We'll be discussing the best practices involved in delivering a presentation to the C-suite and the ways in which you can effectively engage with this unique audience. Jay, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me. I loved your book, by the way. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Before we dive uh, into my questions, please could you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. So I'm an author and speaker on the topic of presentation skills. But before that, I was a lawyer who became fascinated with public speaking. And that fascination came out of necessity, really, because for a very long time, I had a debilitating fear of public speaking and so I wanted to find a solution to be able to cope with that and through that I just became really interested in all things presentation and so now I help other people create an impact with their speaking. Jay, evidently you have have more than overcome that fear of, of public speaking and seemingly uh, excelled and, and mastered it but A key role of leaders is to inspire change. How do you think a really strong set of presentation skills can can help them do that? Well, inspiring others requires effective communication skills, but most importantly, an understanding of other people's perspectives. And so you can have one message, but you actually need to adapt it for every member of your team or every person in your audience, whatever that might be. And so when you work on your presentation skills or honing your presentation skills, you have to plan for that. You have to think about your audience very carefully and adapt. And so by doing that, I think it makes you a much better leader, a much more effective communicator. And then that then translates into being more inspiring and being able to motivate people in your team. But the key things are understanding that you have a variety of people in your audience and to have some kind of empathy and then be able to tailor your message is really important. I think any any presentation can present challenges, but what what are the unique challenges that leaders face when presenting to to really senior executive or or C-suite audiences? Yes, they're very busy people (laughs) and they, they tend to think strategically and so they may not be interested in the minute details. So when you are thinking about presenting or getting ready for it, think about the key messages and and the highlights rather than getting bogged down and being tempted into putting in too much content. And actually, that's something that a lot of speakers fall into the trap of. But with a a very senior audience, a C-suite audience, it's thinking about what your objective is. You know, what is it that you want out of that interaction? But more importantly, 
what do you want them to do? So being clear about your objective is the first place to start because it might be that you need them to make a decision or to give you something, whether that's funding, etc. So being clear about your objective, understanding that they're busy. And the other thing is you might well get interrupted. So you might have a plan for your presentation and then somebody will you know, jump in and divert you. So being prepared to go with the flow and, and make sure you have enough preparation, really important. And then the last thing, timing. So just make sure that, you know, you have practiced to stick to your time slot because you might not get a second chance. And if you don't finish and get the result that you want, then all that effort doesn't really go anywhere. I think your your point there on preparing for those interruptions is so interesting. I've I've seen it in world leaders, perhaps when they're presenting on the, the news or being asked questions, that they're in this great flow, they know what they're delivering, and then they're really thrown by an yeah. interruption and you lose the thread of your argument or of the, the point that you're trying to make. And it can be very disruptive and, and derailing. Yeah, it can be, but it doesn't have to be. You mentioned uh, a lot of important points there, but um, for, for a busy leader, you know, they need to be mindful of the timing, they perhaps need to, to rehearse. Is there anything else that they can do to really help them prepare well for a very important presentation? There are a number of things. The key thing is setting aside time to prepare because most professionals are busy themselves. One of the key things that I have found when working with lots of different people in various different industry sectors is the intention is there to prepare, but other things dive in and take over your time. And so, you know, you might have good intentions, but you don't prepare and you absolutely need to. And I think the only way to do that is to put some time in your diary, 15 minutes every other day, you're doing something in terms of planning for your presentation. And that is researching your content um, and thinking about what you want to say. And that can include, and if possible, should include Asking members of your audience, you know, what are the key points that are relevant? You know, how does the audience want to receive that information? Because that can really help you plan properly. So researching content, planning your structure, those are really important um, aspects. You might have some visual aids and slides, etc. So you need to set aside time to be able to put that together or get somebody to help you with it. But another really important aspect is make some time to rehearse. And this is where people typically cut corners because they might spend all their time on content and slides, but not actually set aside time to rehearse. The benefit of rehearsing is you need to know how long you're speaking for. So if you have 10 minutes or 15 minutes, you need to know what that feels like. If you are really comfortable with your material and you know, you've rehearsed it in chunks, then if you get interrupted and you get thrown off course, you can mentally adjust and come back in where you need to and make sure that you at least finish with your strong conclusion or whatever that is. So um, taking time to make sure that you've planned properly, doing your research and, and then rehearsing it are really, really important. And of course, focusing on your objective. Now, that's the starting point, actually. When you know what you want to get out of that interaction or what you want the audience to do with it, you can then reverse engineer your content to make sure it leads to that ultimate goal. I couldn't agree with you more on the, the need to practice. Do you think there's a risk or does anyone practice too much and then what they're, they're trying to get across or deliver, it 
runs the risk of seeming stale or, or over-rehearsed? Or is that a, a really unlikely risk? It is really unlikely. But it's funny you should say that because that's the pushback that I get quite a lot. It's like, I don't want to be over-rehearsed. I'm going to come across as really sort of stilted. Um, and the, the trap that people fall into is thinking that they need to memorise their presentation word for word. And actually, it's the opposite. By practising and rehearsing, you, you get to vocalise what it is that you're saying because it looks very different to when it's on paper. And I always suggest that people don't write a script. You just have your key points. And every time you rehearse it, it will come out slightly differently. But that's OK as long as you've got signposting. And the other key thing to remember is in the moment that audience are listening to your presentation for the very first time. You might have rehearsed it a hundred times, but you need to be mindful of the fact that your energy and your vocal variety or tonality needs to reflect that for them, it's their first and possibly only interaction with this particular presentation. So that's what you need to focus on rather than worrying about learning it off by heart. When you're presenting to the the C-suite and you're, you know, it's obviously can potentially be a very important presentation, you're you're looking to achieve something, would you recommend that that people go as far as to arrange meetings with key members of the audience prior to that presentation to sort of stress test the the messaging with them, ensure that they're they're relevant, that it's it's likely to hit home, or do you risk kind of as you say, stopping it being the first time they're hearing it, reducing the impact. Is that something you'd recommend? Yeah, absolutely. Every time, because it gives you that that insight in terms of, you know, how people are thinking and you want to hit the right mark. So I don't think there's any danger of spoiling the reveal because you're bringing your personality into it. So it's not necessarily just about the content, but at least you get a an idea of, you know, who sat around that table. Are there people that actually do want that detail because even though I've suggested earlier that you're focusing on strategy and high level you still need to be prepared to dive into that minute detail if somebody asks so having that knowledge in advance helps you to plan properly sometimes it's not possible to actually speak to somebody who's going to be in that audience the next best thing is you know to research elsewhere and you could do it with mentors or other people in similar roles or situations outside of your organisation, because that's still very helpful. One of the the challenges of these kind of presentations is they're often opportunities that you require to present something that's very complicated, that's very involved. Do you have any advice or tips on how our listeners can better present a really complicated topic in in a clear and impactful way? Yeah, absolutely. Don't make your audience work too hard, even though they're a highly intelligent audience. And so there are several things that you can do to break down a complicated topic. The obvious places to start are thinking about quite often charts and data. Yes, it is necessary quite often to have that level of of complex detail. But if you're using visual aids whether that's on a slide or handing out something think about how you can break it down and take it in stages so that it's just easier to process and digest other things that you can do not only to make it easier to process information but to make it more interesting is to create hooks so if you are explaining a point can you put it next to something that's much more familiar Or can you, you know, put it next to a a story example or case study? Because that not only makes the content easier to process, 
but it makes it memorable. And that's really what you're going for is your interaction, your presentation. You want it to be sticky. I can give you an example of a comparison. Mm. So a few years ago, I worked with somebody who had to find ways to cut waste. And the particular commodity that they were dealing with was a beverage. And so the volume of waste, coincidentally, was something that would fill an Olympic swimming pool, which is 2.5 million metres. So obviously, you know, if you tell that to an audience, we, we all get a reference point of what that is. But when you put it next to something that people can relate to, you get a visual image, you know, mental image of an Olympic swimming pool. And that makes it much more memorable by comparing a figure or statistic to something else. So it's probably unrelated, but that doesn't matter. It just makes it easier to follow. Jay, I am a really keen swimmer and I <laughs> would have absolutely no idea how much was it 250 million litres of water is. But 2. the moment, 2.5 million. Yeah. 2. The moment that you say Olympic swimming pool, I've got a really clear understanding of that volume. That's a great tip. A lot of people talk about the, the opening and how important the start of a presentation is. Just how important when delivering to the C-suite is, how, how is important it is that you have a really strong start to your presentation? And do you have any examples of, of a good way to start? Yes, I mean, it's always good to have a, a, a strong start, um, but particularly with this audience, attention spans can be even shorter. So you have a few seconds to grab their attention and I would say rather than spending too much time introducing because they probably know who you are or you know, introducing the topic dive straight into the presentation and so there are a few ways in which you can do that in an interesting way it could just be as simple as you're setting the scene and, and explaining what the objective of the presentation is but you could open with an interesting fact or statistic you could open with a, a short story because that's an unusual way to start or you could ask a question so just that example that I shared with the Olympic swimming pool that speaker just to break the ice introduced a quick pop quiz and just asked people in the audience to guess you know what is the volume of an Olympic swimming pool and then when they told them they said, you know, it, that is how much we are wasting. So what are we going to do about it? Bang, and then move into the presentation. Brilliant. A way, a way to hook them right at the start. Yeah. Now, regardless of whether it's a presentation to a very senior audience, some people find the idea of giving any kind of presentation incredibly stressful. And I know it's something you mentioned at the very start. It was it was something that you struggled with. What advice do you have for those who, who do suffer from really bad nerves or stage fright? I learned the hard way just by you know speaking to lots of speakers and, and watching and then I became a bit of a geek. But ultimately, you know, after all of that, I came to the realization that actually for me it was two key things. And they're really simple. One was my level of preparation. I could take comfort in the fact that I had planned and prepared and rehearsed, and that would give me the confidence to know that I couldn't get lost and I could always be able to find my way back. So there are no shortcuts with that route, but it's absolutely necessary. So it was good for me 
and good for the audience because they would have a better experience. And that was the second realization was that it shifting the focus from me to the audience was really important because ultimately the whole point of me being there is to create that experience for the audience. I'm presenting something for their benefit to add value to get some kind of decision. So preparation and shifting the focus from me to them really helped. And then other things that can be useful, um, mindset is really important. It can be really easy to go down a negative mindset and, and start focusing on you're feeling less confident. And by the way, it's not just people that, that fear public speaking sort of generally. It can happen to anybody at any time. You could be the most confident speaker, but because the stakes are high, this particular presentation is causing you some anxiety. So it's just making sure that you focus on the positive because you get what you focus on. So thinking about how much preparation you've done, that you're an expert in this particular area, all of those things, choose to focus on things that you can control and other things, leave them to one side. Other techniques that are really helpful are visualization, which is used quite a lot in sports psychology. So imagining your presentation or pitch or whatever the interaction is going exactly the way that you want it to and using all of your senses to make it really rich and sensory can help because unconsciously you've gone through that process. So when you deliver your presentation, it is not for the first time. And simple things like breathing, like deep breathing exercises before you present can be really helpful. But during your presentation, because we have an adrenaline rush, and that's a good thing because it just means that you're ready for action. But because of that, sometimes breathing can get faster and then that can come through in your voice and you can come across as less confident. So remembering to stop at places, take a pause and breathe will help to regulate any nerves that there are. That also gives the audience an opportunity to process what you've just shared. So, you know, it's quite a good technique to build in places where you can stop and pause. And then lastly having some kind of ritual um, to get you in the right zone before or the right frame of mind before you get up to present. And that could be as simple as listening to a piece of music that puts you in a really good mood. And I'm sure most people have a favourite track that takes them to a particular place where they felt good and confident. Jay, I have to ask, what's your pre- Big, important presentation <laughs> ritual. What do this you do? This is where I embarrass myself. It's don't stop me now, Queen. <laughs> that is an absolute brilliant power track that, you know, you're, you're completely going to be on a high, ready to take over the world after listening to that. Um, the, the breathing point I thought was really interesting. And particularly when you are very familiar with the intricacies of your material, you might or could forget that your audience is not as familiar and they aren't as au fait with it as you are, and that they might need a moment or two to take on board all of the great information that you're delivering. Exactly, yeah. I did think when you said visualisation that you might be about to give us a often touted but perhaps controversial piece of advice about visualising your audience in their underwear, but clearly, clearly not. (laughs) Visualising a successful presentation that makes a lot of sense yeah I mean that's a myth isn't it a lot of people talk about it it doesn't work for me 
but everybody's different. And, it, and it's just finding your thing, isn't it? So whatever helps you to feel calmer or ready to present, then you don't have to tell anyone, you don't have to share it with anybody. Also, I think you said something really fascinating there about the adrenaline, the nerves. They can actually be a good thing if you keep them under control. It can uh, increase your the power of your delivery, your energy. It's preparing you for that that big moment. It's not necessarily a negative if they don't run away from you. Exactly. And, and that's the reframe, isn't it? It's thinking about it as actually it's it's a positive thing, not a negative thing, um, because it shows that you care and that you're interested in, in the outcome and the interaction. So definitely a good thing. But there are things you can do to control it. Uh, you mentioned sort of getting breathless, but are there any body language and, and tone of voice considerations that our listeners should be mindful of when presenting to that executive audience? Yes, I'm a big fan of natural delivery and I always recommend that people adopt a, a conversational tone of voice because that's your personality coming through and you know it's what you see is what you get. And sometimes it can be really difficult to, to emulate that because you know you're thinking about so many different things. So ironically you need to practice that through rehearsal. But so the tone of voice from that perspective, you know, having it conversational and natural is important. But also at the same time, your voice box is a really important tool and it's one that people don't often use that well. So you can use it to your advantage to change the pace, change the volume, all those things at different points in your presentation to sort of add some colour to your presentation. What is less good is if you talk too fast or you become breathless and, and you forget that the audience are there. Just being mindful of that. Other nonverbal things that, that could um, play a part in your presentation are unconscious fidgeting, moving about. Because I like to have a sort of natural style, I think it's okay to have some kind of mannerism. Some people talk with their hands. What the test is, though, is, is it going to be distracting for your audience? And the only way that you can find that out is either get somebody to give you feedback, or better still, record yourself on video you don't have to share it with anybody else but at least at that point you can see and hear what your audience will and you then have the choice to make some adaptations to iron it out so in a nutshell is it going to be distracting for the audience and then you can do something about it so that way you're coming across as confident and natural and much more engaging I've I've heard and I'd love to uh, to quiz you on this that trying to stop your natural mannerisms such as speaking with your hands that people can sort of make themselves appear incredibly tense and uncomfortable mm. perhaps they're they're sat on their hands or they're trying to stop some kind of natural movement they would do and actually trying to sort of cut it out altogether can come across worse or make you look more uncomfortable in your presentation than if you allowed some natural movement gesticulation as long as it's not distracting from what you're saying yeah exactly and and I'm sure that some people would disagree with me and advocate that there is really only one way to be when you're presenting I I disagree with that I think you know we're human beings and we all have our unique personalities so it's much better to do that than to have just a sort of robotic persona I've heard an awful lot about the the potential of power poses if I'm, if I'm presenting to a you know a C-suite, a really senior audience that I that I want to sway, should I be putting my hands on my hips and and you know trying to adopt something like a Superman pose, or is that 
is that a bit nonsensical because it's not very natural for me? Do I, would I risk looking daft? Maybe. So <laughs> that, um, that concept comes from an, uh, a TED Talk, Amy Cuddy's TED Talk. Um, and in a nutshell, that's about our mind-body connection. So when you adopt a powerful pose for two minutes, that helps you feel more confident. So it's definitely a good thing. However, it's something that, that you do in private. So I talked earlier about rituals and listening to music. So having a adopting a power pose, whether that's hand on your hips or ha- arms in the air or a fist pump, whatever works for you, if you do that in a separate room or in the bathroom before you go into the meeting space, that will work really well. But in the actual presentation room, you can do something similar, and that is just to have open body language. So rather than hands on hips, it's just making sure that you have good posture, you maintain good eye contact, and you have open body language because that unconsciously conveys confidence. So rather than looking ridiculous, you can do those things in private, but just remember that when you're actually in front of an audience, you still need to be aware of how you're coming across with your body language. That's so interesting and something that I will definitely be trying sort of pre-going in for that big presentation, adopting something that might, a posture that might make me feel much more assertive and confident. And then just in the room itself, it being broad, open body language that conveys confidence, but perhaps not coming in with my cape on, hands on hips, because yeah. that yeah. that might not be quite right. I, I said they're coming into the room, but of course, over the past 18 months, almost all presentations have been online. Do you have any advice specifically for for how to deliver a really impactful presentation when you're just talking to a screen and and maybe you can't even see your audience? Yes, that does pose a a challenge. And it's about reminding yourself that you do have actual people on the other side of your camera lens and trying to bring that um, in-person experience through the medium of of technology. So a lot of it will be, again, your tone of voice and being as natural as possible. The other challenges with delivering through a camera, there are some tech issues to be aware of. So even if you can't see all of your audience, you might be able to see some of your audience, they can probably see you. And it's making sure that you are emulating the the feeling of eye contact because you would connect with a live audience by looking at people so to do that do it through the camera lens and and it's making sure you have your laptop or device camera at your eye level and you might need to put your device on a pile of books or on on a stand so that you can do that and when you speak it's really tempting to look at your screen because if you can see other people's faces you, it's almost as if you're talking to them, but actually you're not. You want to look through the camera. So the, there's that. But also, on the flip side, because your audience are, you know, in their own spaces, they can switch their cameras off and they can multitask and you won't necessarily know that they're engaging with you. So you can do the best you can with your delivery and, and be engaging But to make sure that you keep your audience with you, there are things you could try, like using the chat box functionality, introducing some polls, or just literally just pausing at certain points in your presentation and just opening up for a a bit of a debate or a Q&A session so that you're bringing people back in and having that engagement because you're trying to create that connectedness that you would if you were in the room with people. 
oh my goodness, Jay, I've I've been doing this wrong for the past 18 months. My device has never been at eye level and I have been looking at my slides instead of the camera. Now that you say it, of course, that's my eye line. And if I want people to, to have the experience of looking in my eyes, I should be focusing much more on the camera. That's incredibly useful. Obviously, uh, we hope that we'll get back to sort of the opportunity for more in-person presentations. What what signs can uh, someone look out for that the, the C-suite audience is engaged with what they're saying, perhaps when they are in the room or uh, failing that when, when cameras are turned on? What should they be looking out for? So in a way, that is quite intuitive. I think you know, most of us know when people are, are listening to us or not. And you can tell that through body language and eye contact. So people are looking in your direction uh, and nodding along. That seems quite obvious. But that's not to say that if they're not looking at you or that, you know, they're sort of writing something on a device that they're not, not listening, they can be. So don't be tempted in thinking you've lost people in the audience. Focus on what you can control, and that is having really good presentation, you being enthusiastic and engaging the audience. And then if you think you're losing people, break the pattern. So there are a few things that you can do, and that could be that you just pause. If you just pause for an, you know, what might seem like an eternity, but two or three seconds, people will think, hang on, have I missed something? And they'll just sit up and listen. You could throw some questions out to the audience and they could just be rhetorical questions, getting them to just pause and think or inviting response from the audience. You can use your voice to change it up or down because, again, that will wake people up. So there are things that you can try. But ultimately, if some of those don't work and there are still people in the audience that look that like they're disengaged, that's OK, too. You don't know what's going on in their mind. They might have something that's you know, bothering them. And so sometimes you just won't get 100% of the audience. You could have delivered that same presentation yesterday, knocked it out of the park and had everybody engaged. And yet that same presentation with a different audience today might not necessarily resonate with everybody. So what I'm saying is do what you can, control the things that you can control and take the pressure off yourself because sometimes you won't get 100% of the audience. And rather than focus your energy on the one person who's not engaging, divide your attention with the rest of the audience who are engaged. So it's about balance. It's amazing how powerful something as, as simple as a pause can be, because I think uh, it can be tempting to, to always fill all of the uh, all of the, the space all of the time with words but as you say I would I would look up for even from the most fervent note-taking if the speaker had paused talking thinking what have I missed or what's happening here and it would possibly could help recapture my attention if I had been uh, distracted by uh, a, a pressing email or other concern not related to that presentation Assuming the, the presentation has gone brilliantly, there is so often a opportunity for a bit of a Q&A session. Can you share any tips for our listeners to help deal with inevitable tough questions that can come either at the end of a presentation or you know, sometimes during it? People worry about the Q&A session even more than the presentation itself because one of the common fears is, Am I going to be asked a question that I don't know the answer to, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to look as professional as I could? 
But there are things that you can do to combat that and, and prepare. So when you are preparing for your presentation, your brainstorming content, at that point or when you're interviewing members of the audience, think about questions that could come up. Think about all the possible curveballs. Put yourself in their shoes. You've got some content that you want to share, but obviously you can't cover everything that you know about that topic. So there's going to be things that you leave out. Um, Taking all of that information, list a handful of questions that could come up and practice your answers in the same way that you would for the actual presentation. So that will take the sting out of a, a lot of it. And then genuinely, there will be times when you just can't answer the question, either because you have a brain freeze or you haven't thought about it. So at that point, you can also rehearse your version of, I don't know, or it's something I hadn't thought about. And if possible, can I come back to you later? If the scenario you know lets you do that it's about how you deal with it so if you can confidently convey actually you know what I don't know I'm okay with that or even ask other people in the audience if that's a possibility I haven't come across that does anybody else in the audience have an opinion so it's just finding ways that you can cope because it is absolutely okay not to know the answer and rather than being a rabbit in headlights you just own it and say that you don't know and move on from that that's so interesting and from my own experience I would always rather someone admit that they they don't know or that they need to go away and and check that or come back to me than have someone make up an answer that wasn't either factual or right you know I would respect their expertise and their credibility much more if they were honest you know that's that's not something that we've considered or I'd need to to check to ensure that I give you an accurate answer to that but we can feel a lot of pressure that we we should have answers to absolutely everything at our fingertips and be able to deliver them at a moment's notice. Yeah and if it helps uh, I always suggest that buy yourself some time ask the question to be repeated or even jot it down so that You've got some time to think and, you know, you've got in front of you what it is that you need to answer rather than in the panicking in the moment to, you know, give a response that's not the right one. Jay, that is a wealth of really useful advice on uh, how to master the art of presenting. If there is one thing that you would like to leave our listeners with, one key piece of advice, one thing you think we should all be doing more of or perhaps less of, what's your one key takeaway? Develop your personal brand. And by that, I mean, you know, personal brand is what people think about you. It's your visibility. It's your profile. And that is online and offline. So focusing on offline because, you know, obviously I'm passionate about presentations is finding more opportunities to speak, whether it's chairing a team meeting, contributing to a team meeting, giving a seminar, all of these things help to add to your personal brand bank account so proactively develop that and obviously uh, your book is available at uh, the book the presentation book for senior managers an essential step-by-step guide to structuring and delivering effective speeches uh, if our listeners would like to find out more about you and your work you do uh, are you on social channels do you have a website they could check out best place to find me is on linkedin Jay, it has been a real pleasure speaking to you today and I am going to do my best to practice more and I 
definitely going to rethink the, the height of my camera and where I am directing my eyes the next time I need to give a presentation. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hayes Worldwide Leadership Insights podcast. If you found this advice useful, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. At the same time, if you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to reach out to us via email at socialmedia at hayes.com.